0: These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
1: So Philip K. Dick had this theory that time was an illusion and that we were all actually in 50 AD. And the reason he had written this book was that he had somehow momentarily punctured through this illusion, this veil of time. And what he had seen there was what was going on in the book of Acts. And he was really into uh, Gnosticism and this idea that this demiurge or demon had created this illusion of time to make us forget, you know, that Christ was about to return and the kingdom of God was about to arrive. And that we're all in 50 A.D. and there's someone trying to make us forget, you know, that, you know, God is imminent. And that's what time is. That's what all of history is. It's just kind of this continuous, um, you know, daydream or distraction. Now, Philip K. Dick is right about time, but he's wrong that it's 50 A.D., Actually, there's only one instant, and it's right now, and it's eternity. And it's an instant in which God is posing a question. And that question is basically, do you wanna you know, be one with eternity? Do you wanna be in heaven? And we're all saying, no thank you, not just yet. And so time is actually just this constant saying no to God's invitation. I mean, that's what time is. I mean, and it's no more 50 AD than it's 2001. You know, I mean, there's just this one instant, and that's what we're always in.
2: If you're hoping for some Philip K. Dick content on this episode, per the movie clip from Waking Life you just heard, you're going to be happy. It's a Philip K. Dick world after all. As Eric Davis wrote in High Weirdness, Dick's vision of Valis, in particular, ...reads like an uncanny prophecy of our fraught network consciousness. On the one hand, we have become thoroughly absorbed into an all-consuming, endlessly arborizing, weirdly discarnating information system. But with the onset of the Internet of Things, and the spread of smartphone sensors, GPS devices, and augmented reality the network no longer inhabits a separate quote, cyberspace. Instead, it is now invading, reconfiguring, and rewriting physical reality. Very much the way Dick describes Valis using the world of objects to organize and extend itself into our spurious reality.
3: First time anybody made a tool, I mean, taking a stone and chipping it so that you can handle it. That's the beginning of a machine. It's turning outer nature into your service. But then there comes a time when uh,
2: it, it, it begins to dictate to you. And that's just the tip of the digital iceberg when it comes to Dick's Gnostic prophecies, as Aeon has revealed for many years here in the desert of the real.
4: Nipples for man.
2: Shit just got real and reality just got unreal. Or more like you've always known this. Dream time is coming, but the cyber and material worlds are melting together into some schizophrenic hellscape because of Wetiko viruses. Future made of virtual insanity now always seem to be governed by this love we have for the useless twisting of our new technology. It's all fun and games until someone loses a third eye, and then it's just gnosis. Birth is a curse and
5: existence is a prison.
2: As always, I, your host Miguel Connor, is ready to go with you on an adventure of your many lifetimes. To finally break the bars of the black iron prison and embrace your authentic self. As the famous quote goes, The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away.
4: But where is it written that all our dreams must be
2: small ones?
3: Even the smallest person can change the course of the future.
2: That's it. We may be of the broken places. But each one of us has an amazing mission, an artistic expression, that will light up the universe with so much wonder and leave the world much more interesting for us being here. Don't be the change you want to see in the world, as Gandhi allegedly said, but be the strange you want to see in the world. Let's create better than the creator gods and their Karens and catamites in the establishment. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is.
3: So you can call the trades and tell them I said it was a tremendous honor to be a small part of one of the oldest of human traditions,
4: storytelling, and myth-making.
2: With Dick's revelations, everything is possible. Not only will we be talking in this eternal now about the quote, man who remembered the future, but also David Ike and other enigmatic figures bright satellites that orbit the fascinating planet of conspiracy theory, or conspirituality. We'll certainly breathe in the atmosphere of madness, because, as Jung said, show me a sane man and I'll cure him. And as Dick himself said, perhaps if you know you are insane, then you are not insane. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I mean, it was Evelyn Underhill who wisely said, Sanity consists in sharing the hallucinations of our neighbors.
5: A reality is just what we tell each other it is. Sane and insane could easily switch places if the insane were to become the majority. You would find yourself locked in a padded cell, wondering what happened to the world.
2: It wouldn't happen to me. The world is insane and thinks it's sane. Lost in a vast quicksand Tartarus of melting cyberspace and meat space, A virtual insanity. But again, we got the cure with all these incendiary subjects from a very cool new book. The work is contemplating conspiracy excursions into undiluted madness. The author is our astral guest, Richard Cox. A great Gnosis-filled read and a great interview coming your way.
4: Do I make myself clear? I'm sorry I wasn't listening.
2: It's a good time to whip out Dick's Ten Principles of Gnostic Christianity. Beyond some perspective, the listicle is a keen understanding and refresher of Gnosticism, ancient and modern. Since the audience has grown more than 30% since I last narrated this in pre-COVID days, I think it's in order, and here it is. The Gnostic Christians of the 2nd century believed that only a special revelation of knowledge, rather than faith, could save a person. The contents of this revelation could not be received empirically or derive a priori. They consider this special Gnosis so valuable that it must be kept secret. Here are the ten major principles of the Gnostic revelation. 1. The creator of this world is demented. 2. The world is not as it appears, in order to hide the evil in it, a delusive veil obscuring it and the deranged deity.
5: There is a beauty to this world. An order. That's what we like to believe. We're not wrong. There is an order. A grand design. We made sure of that. It was a dream for so long and we finally made it real. Not a better world. A perfect one. 3.
2: There is another better realm of God. And all our efforts are to be directed toward A. Returning there B. Bringing it here 4. Our actual lives stretch thousands of years back And we can be made to remember our origin in the stars 5. Each of us has a divine counterpart, unfallen, who can reach a hand down to us to awaken us This other personality is the authentic waking self. The one we have now is asleep and minor. We are in fact asleep, and in the hands of a dangerous magician disguised as a good god, the deranged creator deity.
5: God isn't for you, Lenny. God is
2: for men who have no use for freedom. The bleakness, the evil and pain in this world The fact that it is a deterministic prison, controlled by the demented Creator, causes us willingly to split with the reality principle early in life. And so to speak willingly, fall asleep in delusion. 6. You can pass from the delusional prison world into the peaceful kingdom if the true good God places you under His grace and allows you to see reality through his eyes. 7. Christ gave, rather than received, revelation. He taught his followers how to enter the kingdom while still alive, where other mystery religions only bring about amnesis, knowledge of it at the, quote, other time, in quote, the other realm, not here. He causes it to come here, and is the living agency to the sole good God, i.e. the Logos. 8. Probably the real, secret Christian church still exists, long underground, with the living Corpus Christi as its head or ruler, the members absorbed into it. Through participation in it, they probably have vast, seemingly magical powers.
4: Finally, they determine Christ is crazy, but he's also gaining power, converting a lot of people to his beliefs, so they kill him. But his disciples keep the secret and hide it from civilization until man could develop a science sophisticated enough to prove what Christ was saying.
2: 9. The division into, quote, two times, good and evil, and, quote, two realms, good and evil, will abruptly end with victory for the good time here as the presently invisible kingdom separates and becomes visible, we cannot know the date. 10. During this time period, we are on the sifting bridge being judged according to which power we give allegiance to, the deranged creator demiurge of this world, or the one good God and his kingdom, whom we know through Christ. To know these ten principles of Gnostic Christianity, is to court disaster. (coughs) Whoops! I always forget to give you that warning beforehand. Oh well, no biggie. Since the moment you woke up, the very moment you questioned mundane reality, the universe has thrown everything at you. You eat nervous breakdowns for breakfast. You have seen the whole of the moon. You are legion and have been cured of your sanity. And now we can go farther, as dream time arrives with our interview with Richard. The Empire never ended, but we still gotta write our own gospel and live our own myth.
5: I say, the Empire never ended. The Empire is the institution, the codification of derangement. It is insane and imposes its insanity on us by violence since its nature is a violent one. To fight the empire is to be infected by its derangement. This is a paradox. Whoever defeats a segment of the empire becomes the empire. It proliferates like a virus, imposing its form on its enemies. Thereby it becomes its enemy. Against the empire is posed the living information, the plasmate or physician, which we know as the Holy Spirit or Christ discorporate. These are the two principles, the dark, the empire, and the light, the plasmate. In the end, mind will give victory to the latter. Each of us will die or survive according to which he aligns himself and his efforts with. Each of us contains a component of each. Eventually, one or the other component will triumph in each human. Zoroaster knew this because the wise mind informed him he was the first savior. Four have lived in all. A fifth is about to be born, who will differ from the others. He will rule and he will judge us. Since the universe is actually composed of information, then it can be said that information will save us. This is the saving Gnosis which the Gnostics sought. There is no other road to salvation. However, this information or more precisely the ability to read and understand this information, the universe as information, can only be made available to us by the Holy Spirit. We cannot find it on our own. Thus it is said that we are saved by the grace of God and not by good works, that all salvation belongs to Christ, who I say is a physician.
2: This is the on Bide interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Richard Cox to discuss his book, Contemplating Conspiracy Excursions into Undiluted Madness. Richard, thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Miguel.
2: Pleasure is all ours and really enjoyed your book, and I know the audience will really engage with your ideas many that they are very familiar with and with us we've got the moon dog vans vans how are you doing oh i'm okay i just got out of a fresh ovarian illuminati uh, meeting
3: so i'm ready for this
2: oh there you go I, I wonder if birds are still real or fake. I don't know. I don't
3: know. I If, if they are not real, I don't know what this thing I've been feeding for eight years is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, when I saw the cat running the other day with a bird in its mouth, I was like, don't eat that!" all those cogs and wires and wheel. <laughs> then I realized maybe he will that's part of the conspiracy. He'll turn
0: into a robot, too, and my cat oh. will then spy on me. It says that fake on my T-shirt, for sure. <laughs> that's anything to go on
2: yeah yeah there's always a way so awesome well Richard let's first talk a little bit about you how did you uh, become how did you go into the esoteric uh, arenas or how did you become acquainted with the world of
0: conspiracies they were kind of co-arising for me so It all started when I was coming to the end of my school life and had found it a somewhat dissatisfying experience intellectually. And I'd left behind a kind of Christian tradition that I'd been born and brought up into, a fairly mild tradition. Um, I'd left that behind as kind of fairy tales and moved into a scientific materialist view throughout my teenage years. I was always a somewhat philosophically inquisitive kid. But that materialism was seeming very, very empty to me, fascinating on one hand, of the beauty of physics and the uncovering of the the landscape of atoms and so on. But on a human level, well we're just piles of atoms talking then. So there was, there was a kind of nihilistic view slipping in. And um I became at the same time I was having these experiences where I'd go out and, and drink some whiskey and the next day I'd wake up and it must have had a lingering effect in my system because all my anxiety would fall away and I'd just be really in the moment and appreciating nature and the beauty and the life force of the trees and the grass and the blueness of the sky and the vast expanse and just had this sense there was something more to it all than materialism presented and had no context for this apart from maybe hearing something in a william blake poem about eternity in a grain of sand or something like that that's the only thing i had that sounded a bit similar but i I knew at that that time this is about the year 2000 and some of the kids at school had heard of meditation they were kind of feeling stressed around exams and so yeah i'd like to get into that thing that would help me but um we didn't know what it was but i knew that was about changing consciousness so that really got the ball rolling when i ordered a book on that then and um started to understand both the practicalities and some of the philosophy underpinning the experience i had and reading books on zen like oh yeah that that's what happened i was i was in the moment just that that sounds very similar so i got more of the kind of metaphysical view then and that started the ball rolling and then when you're in that section of the bookshop as I started visiting you're going to encounter also conspiracy literature so I picked up uh, David Icke's book The Biggest Secret Uh, this looks fascinating what's this big secret and was thrown into that world of chaos you know if everything was different than what you thought I think I saw it as a bit of an intellectual exercise well could you write a theory of history that was completely different and and would that stand up or would it completely collapse at the first tunnel and um what was shocking to me wasn't the truly outrageous stuff but it was the more mundane stuff which turned out to be true like the idea that the cia trafficked drugs to me that was more outrageous than the reptilians i mean because that's like every cop show i'd ever seen had the exact opposite like they were the good guys right Right. and this is impossible right but stuff like that you know that really hit me and okay there's there's something to this so that And then it was also through David Icke that I, I learned about um, Advaita Vedanta and the idea where one conscious mind experiencing itself subjectively and the, the role of human life is to refine that that consciousness, which is a pure and infinite field of love. And these very radical ideas for a, a depressed 18-year-old materialist to, to encounter. So that got me going. That's, how, that's my origin.
2: Wonderful. Yeah, we would definitely want to get more into David Icke, but yeah, he's uh, before conspiracy theory was a thing or widespread i think i read somewhere a few years ago that there's a poll that even in the united states like two million people believe in the in the lizard people but uh, ike was has always been great because he's blurred the lines between spirituality and uh social events or political events around the world but we want to get into it uh but first you also write that you were 18 when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. How did that change you, Richard?
0: Well, it was because I just got into conspiracy. I just read a conspiracy book just prior to that. I'm looking at the TV, and had it happened in June, I would have completely been absorbed into the standard narrative that appeared on the BBC or Fox or CNN or whatever, whatever one you're watching. I'd have completely believed that. But now I'm looking at this event. And beyond the human tragedy, I'm I'm struck by the fact that this is big, that this is the world has changed in some way. We are now living in a different world than the one we were yesterday. I think a lot of people were struck by that. But I'm also struck by I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if this is 19 Islamic terrorists and no more than that, or is this the U.S. government doing it to itself the way um, the the conspiracists say. And David Icke put a, a quote up on his um website that he'd written earlier in the year oh look now bush is in charge you're going to see some fabled enemy invented to justify some sort of terrorist act they'll be justifying an incursion into a foreign land oh my goodness this guy has some predictive power here so which one of these narratives is true so it, it really and then i think psychologically going and having those questions and not knowing when not to ask them you know they seem like reasonable questions to me but talking them about them at work or going to the pub and talking about them and meeting a lot of ridicule gave me a kind of fire in my belly. Then that right, I'm going to like, I'm going to look into this at some point. I'm really going to find this out.
2: Yeah. And um, you also, but you do write that you, uh, you sort of set conspiracy research aside for a number of years. Uh, what happened and how did you loop back into this domain or
0: this subject? I think I delved in, but, like for the younger members of the audience, the internet wasn't what it was, is now back then, and I really had no ability to discern. And I think spent a lot of time going down rabbit holes that led nowhere. So at some point, I just gravitated away to other things, without consciously thinking. Right, I'm stopping this now. I spent time reading. I got really into reading the philosophy of science, and I was very focused on spirituality and practicing aikido through those years. So I had a lot that was occupying my attention, and um I moved into it. I probably, it, it's funny, if you're not actively engaged, not, I probably slipped into a more mundane worldview where I, got, I kind of became reabsorbed by the, the media narrative. And, you know, maybe I thought Barack Obama would be a good guy when he came along to be president and that kind of thing. And I, You just kind of slip back into the, the blue-pilled world, if you like. And um, what actually got me back into it was just a series of weird coincidences of meeting people randomly sitting down in a pub next to someone who claimed to have been part of the MKUltra program or had the microchip in their brain. I don't know like, if these people were or weren't to this day, but it just, it seemed to be synchronicity repeatedly arising in one form or another. And there was this pull back into it. And then I, I re-engaged and probably floundered around for a while and then tried to find some solid ground in reading what I might call more sort of geopolitical history. And the first thing I read about was um, Operation Ijax, the, uh, the CIA's overthrow of the Iranian government of Mohammed Mossadegh in, in 1953. And that, again, was just like astounding. And, and finding out there was a, a Wikipedia page about it, it was that mundane. It's like, oh, so these conspiracies are true then. Like the, the US government does <laughs> do stuff yeah. like that repeatedly, right? And it's not, yeah. it's not actually controversial. It's not like there's some debate, did this happen, didn't it happen? No, It's and there's like, there's like 70 of them. Oh, and that that was completely shocking to me. And that, that then was, um, I think, about 12 years ago. And I've been sort of consistently engaged since then. You
2: also write, too, that you were uh, attracted or influenced by the ideas of Paul Ferrer Benz on myth- mythological pluralism. Tell us how that helped you uh, see the world or approach these subjects.
0: Yeah, fire up and a methodological pluralism. So I, I, that, again, I just fell into um into his work whilst looking for other things and it reshaped how i approach subjects so prior to that when i would study something i'd think okay there's, there's one right way to understand this and i'm going to get that one right way and then pursue it and that will lead to truth and Robin suggested that truth is a very elusive thing not that we can't necessarily have it but uh it it evades us and we must be cynical about our um our sense that we've grasped it because we are continuously being shown that we haven't and perhaps a more both more humane and more productive approach is to have multiple perspectives on things so like maybe in a group of people you have people who have different uh, take different positions and the group has a better um understanding for that but also within your own self you can look at life through a variety of lenses so you could say for example a very kind of like Illuminati, the world has been controlled by a consistent group for hundreds of years, Uh, that's one very conspiratorial perspective. And at the other end of the spectrum, you might have the world is all a product of random events. Well, it isn't, but sometimes it is. So in trying to grasp something that's very elusive, it helps to maintain these multiple points of view. Yeah,
2: that makes perfect sense, too. And as I always tell people, sometimes we live in a world. There's too much all or nothing or Anakin Skywalker. You're with me or against me. Hmm. But as I tell people, just because, you have found an argument that you think works the best. It doesn't negate the second best argument or the third best argument. Those are still valid and this could be even in conspiracies. Uh was 9-11 an inside job or was 9-11 again hijackers with box cutters? Does it the, for me, obviously, I think there's a conspiracy somewhere, but it doesn't negate the second best. You would agree with that, too. People just want to discard everything and hold on to the best argument for something. Yes.
0: And I think that position in me made sense because I'd gone down a road in spirituality of really trying to attain enlightenment for a couple of years and seeing it as this switch that would go on, which would eradicate all of the problems. Okay. And that was a very um, monolithic worldview that I took on, which was very, very unhealthy. And breaking out of that and saying, hey, there's, there's different ways to look at life and the human psyche and how we engage with it. And sometimes this pure meditative experience is great, but other times it's good to look at your psyche and think more on that level. And then other times maybe read a book on evolutionary psychology. Maybe that gives you a different perspective again on why you're behaving the way you are. So from having really jumped into a very monolithic approach to living, Pluralism then made perfect sense, having seen the problems of of the other approach.
2: And do you feel that this is, well, this is certainly something people should embrace? I would agree. I also think people need to listen more to Marcus Aurelius when he said you don't have to have an opinion on everything. You can sit back and sort of absorb arguments and data as it comes in because it's complicated. But I think people, uh, what did Freud once say? He pointed out that the human mind has a low tolerance threshold for, for ambiguity and mm. clutches at straws to avoid drowning in uncertainty. And you see that both sides, conspiracy and mainstream, that might be their problem, right? We We want a certain world so we can go about our lives.
0: Absolutely. And for me, spirituality was the key to overcoming that in a sense. Like I recall... Um, there's one particular spiritual group I was a part of for a long time and I was having a discussion over dinner with a fellow about global warming and he, he was taking the opposite position to me uh, but then at some point he just completely dropped his position and sort of stepped into my shoes and looked at it my way and then stepped back into his own and that was quite incredible to me to, that he wasn't attached to his position and it, it made quite an impact and I think that when I thought about that well, this guy's, he's, he's like he's cultivated a deeper sense of identity that's not rooted in the thoughts that are running through his head and therefore, those thoughts don't have to be right. And I think when we're, we're strongly attached to our patterns of thought, then they become like that's a, it, it, an attack on our opinions is an attack on us. So we, we can't tolerate that. So t- to me, cultivating that deeper sense of who I am was really really a practice to help with that.
2: Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, self-knowledge, embrace the mystery, and we want to get more into that. And I think that's, uh, that's the other point that you make is that We, and I've said this on A.M. Byte before, is that the the issue is that people, human beings, we're not wired for data. We're still wired for stories. We're wired to follow patterns that bring us to safety. We'd rather uh, see what we believe than believe what we see. There are exceptions. I don't know if you're uh, aware with James Corbett, who started out years ago arguing for 9-11 the the conventional story of 9-11 and the more data he kept researching the more he realized his argument was completely wrong and he went completely to the other side he went he followed the data Hmm. that he'd spent years arguing for but yeah would you say that as humans that's part of our problem is that stories work much better than data
0: well that's a That's a big question. And just to comment on the the change of mind thing, I interviewed a doctor just early in this week who really contradicted a lot of previous thoughts I'd had on COVID. And Mm. I thought that was like great, right? Because I'm trying to practice this to the point where I actively enjoy being challenged or someone saying, no, that's wrong. So it's great because now I can go back and look at my previous sourcing and compare and contrast the two and and have a, a conflict that will hopefully resolve in something in something greater but uh, that i mean that that question about the the need for story i am um, i tried to go into this like a part of the motivation for the book was seeing particularly how there were very there were articles appearing from spiritual quarters very critical of conspiracy in the in the COVID era right um in some ways understandable but i thought they were very simplistic and taking a very one-dimensional view on the thing so for me the book was how do we take a deeper look at this phenomenon of conspiracy theory? And one aspect of that was, well, what if some of the more elaborate conspiracies like David Icke's reptilians are speaking to our need for metaphor, our need for myth and story. And what if these conspiracies, if you think about it in a a Christian or a Gnostic sense, uh, they're they're kind of initiatory myths in some way. Like, because if you speak to people who are doing kind of any kind of geopolitical research, and you say, so how did you uh, how did you get into this? Then they'll often go a little red in the face, a little shy, and they'll tell you some story about you know how they heard about laser beams taking the twin towers down, and they, they thought that was fascinating, right? And then, and I thought, hang on, I've heard this before, right? Don't I know a lot of spiritual people who were like hardcore into their Zen or, or their Advaita Vedanta, but they were in, initially they were like drawn in by someone channeling Merlin or something like that, and something they they wouldn't really want to be associated with that. Um, So I just noticed that parallel, and thought, well. How then? How does that affect how we think about geopolitics and understanding the world if we have this need for mythology and story? And that's a question that's wide open for me. I'm, that's what I'm exploring.
2: Oh, yeah, it's a great exploration. As uh, Terry Pratchett said, uh, humans don't need fantasy to deal with life. Humans need fantasy to be human. And that's a part that's been unfortunately suppressed in our modern times during the age of enlightenment and so forth, because it is essential to our brain. And it really is essential even to see the world as as it is. Um, Here's an example that you use in your book and I've used before. You've got Descartes, who's the, the father of modern inquiry and skepticism, right? How did he come up with his ideas of, I think, therefore I am, and all that? He actually had to create a Gnostic myth where he's trapped by some demon and the entire world's an illusion and start from there. So that's a perfect example of how storytelling and myth can free us to the truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about Descartes for a second. I was like, you know, what's, what's my on saying about Descartes? I forgot to put <laughs> yeah. that in. Yeah, I don't no, remember good, my yeah.
2: books either, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? I wrote that? <laughs> but I think that's, yeah, that's definitely very important to uh, to our minds. I mean, the great example you use in your book, and um, and we're talking, and there's a part where you talk, you know, David Icke is a kind of magician. He's a myth maker. And uh are the lizard people literal? well, I don't know are the archons aliens? I know there's something out there that uh controls we don't know how our minds our minds will make up stories, but you talk about how compared to Bush and everything he did uh it's um well Bush is far worse than any lizard people as you mentioned
0: yeah, I was making the point i think i I wrote about uh the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> Again, another, another great mythology there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leading this kind of chorus of chanting where this whole audience are chanting the name George W. Bush, George W. Bush. And when I was listening to this, it just all of a sudden hit me how cultish it was that they believed that George W. Bush was going to somehow fix the economy and protect their children and educate them and keep them safe from terrorists and all the stuff Bush was like monumentally failing to do. <laughs> You know, yeah, oh, God, Just, yeah. you know, there's this kind of religious iconography came in around him. And my, my point was that, well, you know, David Icke might be crazy, but he's not as crazy as those people who think Bush is all these things. And um, that Ike, has in a sense, he's re mythologized that landscape by because, the, in the sense of this idea of being blue pilled it gives the impression of like there's a chemical effect almost on our brains that we're locked out. We are chemically locked out of seeing the world as it is. And we're trapped in a view where these people who every four or eight years stand up at the the lectern and be declared the leader of the free world, this all makes sense and they're normal people. And do you need mythology to break you out of that? I'm not saying that's the only way you could look at Ike's work. There may be a literal spirit realm with reptilian-like beings in who are whispering. Who knows? the mind who knows but one way you could look at it is with mythology and in saying well, that guy actually he's actually a shape-shifting reptilian in some ways that's more accurate because it's accurately describing the psychopathy and the malevolence the ability to indiscriminately kill civilians across the world and not lose sleep over it it's a very accurate picture as compared to the people who think he's some sort of savior so does that that harshness allow people to off of, like the reptilian position in fact, the, the extremity of it, allow people to snap out of the conditioned worldview. Well
2: said indeed. Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And one part of your book, Richard, you write, uh, quote, it seems clear to me that this amounts to a drive for global hegemonic control and without any hyperbole can be called a conspiracy to take over the world. And that is 100% true. That's not a conspiracy. Uh, It might have been, as as they say, conspiracy, simply history plus time. But again, when you look at Bush and Cheney, the neocons, what's going on, it's no secret that the Middle East, Eurasia have always been on either the British Empire or the American Empire's crosshairs. I mean, we want or this empire wants that one way or another.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote that particular chapter, and it, it kind of stands in contrast to the rest of the book because the rest of the book is very much questioning, well, what do we really know, and, and suggesting a certain humility around knowledge. And that chapter is the complete opposite of that. It says actually, you know, there is quite a lot we know uh, on on one level. Like, and the the if you just look at the most pedestrian. Of history you can see that there is this constant expanse of the american empire over like since world war ii but really going back to the, the start of the century the 20th century and, and before and as it keeps expanding it's, it's taking in more and more of the world well that that is a drive for global hegemony and now on you go one level deeper we can have endless discussions of is that planned by anyone or is it just everyone takes the next step or do people really believe in these ideologies that they're fighting communism or a war on drugs or a war on terror or is it there's actually a kind of anglo-american establishment banking class that transitioned from the british to the american empire i find all these conversations fascinating about the deeper level of conspiracy but they all need to be held in the context of there's no doubt there's a violent nasty drive for global hegemony hegemony going on and that's like
2: Yeah. And I mean, we can go back to Bush. Uh, For example, David Icke gets banned off of uh, YouTube. Uh, They might ban this interview on YouTube, although, you know, 80% of my traffic comes from podcasts, not YouTube, because he's so controversial and dangerous. I find his ideas fascinating. His spirituality is wonderful when he gets on a tangent about consciousness. But the difference is Ike is not responsible for a million dead people and a, a a landscape that's destroyed for generations, right? Yeah. Who's the real
0: monster? <laughs> yeah, and why can't we see that? Why, why does society carry on as if that's not the case? Tony Blair got knighted recently. Oh, God, yeah, there's another. So Tony I'm, now, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Again, people want to believe what they see. So, uh, Or see what they believe, and they buy into these stories, the propaganda, again, the myth-making that appears for Bush, for the United States, for England. I remember as a kid, I would read, I forget what comic book, I think it was Captain Jack, and he was a hero, and he would stand there and he'd be very proud because he'd say, the british empire it was an empire where the sun never set and as a kid i was like oh that's wonderful now i think about it and go that's horrible Don't mm. you <laughs> what was this thing just conquering the world that's what it was doing yeah it's a mess it's a mess uh and vance what do you think about uh the conspiracies and david ike and all that
3: Oh, yeah, I, I like David Ike's spirituality, too. He kind of runs along the same lines I do. Uh, I don't see the empire thing as totally evil or totally good. We didn't mention the Chinese. They're out for an empire, too. And they might overtake the, you know, the Western European-based uh, empire. But uh, there are some good things that the empires bring, and there are some bad things that the empires bring. But no matter what, I think there will always be empires as long as there's you know power as long as they are power for people with lust for power and control. Even if they think that you know, they're doing a lot of people a lot of good, eventually they get to the point where they say, well, we have to stay in power to help these people, so we have to do anything we can to keep in power, right? So that's how it all starts. But I was going to ask you, uh, Richard, um, how about the conspiracy of conspiracies? Do you think the conspiratorial groups actually look at the conspiracies, you know, that are you know, among the populace and actually try to use those, you know, for fun and fun and profit? Uh, I hate to pick on them because I like the show, but Ancient Aliens, for example, um, they, uh, uh, you know, they they uh, take the UFO, uh, quote unquote, conspiracy and they you know talk about well could this be ancient aliens and so forth and they make money from from it and a lot of people tune into it so could they kind of be a conspiracy you know to to a meta conspiracy
0: well i certainly think there's no doubt conspiracy theories are weaponized ironically to protect the establishment so i write about this in a chapter called um what's it called propping up and pulling down the tower where we have this View of conspiracy is as we've been discussing so far that it breaks people out of their conventional worldview. It might be seeing Building Seven collapse. There might be an incident that where just people snap out and go, "Oh gosh, the world is completely different." And that's kind of what you would expect conspiracy to do. But ironically, it has this other function of propping up the tower. So I, I make by the tower, I'm making a reference to the uh, tarot card uh, where the, the tower is struck by a bolt of lightning coming out of nowhere from the heavens and this convent, this structure of convention and established thought suddenly breaks and falls to the ground, and we have to build up a new one. Um, so conspiracy theories are also employed to support the status quo. So, for example, um, when Fox News have to acknowledge that a percentage of the US population believe there's something untoward about 9 11, that something's a bit, bit fishy about it, they will bring on someone who will say the planes holograms. Okay, now without having a discussion on whether that's a, a, a valid or invalid um, conspiracy theory, we could agree that it is certainly at the extreme end of the spectrum. Okay, They won't bring on someone who will talk about the CIA's documental relationships with um, Arab terrorists in general, and specifically the, the terrorists, how they were kind of shepherding um, two of the Flight 77 hijackers uh, prior to the attacks and keeping them safe from arrest by the FBI. So you can, and this gets repeated across the spectrum then the fringe conspiracy let's say is is always brought in to ridicule and say oh look nothing to see here um moving on it's as if like the um the after the boy says the emperor has no clothes somebody else jumps up in the audience says yes and he's also a shape-shifting art bar. okay so and then oh these people who don't think he's got clothes on they all think he's not you know it's it's so yeah that is a a, a, and yeah that's absolutely what's happening
3: Yeah, you got to wonder, like, with the government's stance on UFOs changing the way it is, whether or not they're up to something, whether they're going to use the UFO uh, scenario uh, for their own, you know, nefarious purposes or whatever.
0: Yeah, I I would think so. Yeah, I think that's... that's, that's, Yeah, no doubt. And then
2: poisoning the well is certainly something they're good at, which (laughs) makes it a lot harder uh, for those who are serious about the research. Yeah, and you talk about how the cia has done it with their excuses and uh uh i love the term uh limited hangout when an intelligence agency releases some information about an event but in a distorted way to prevent a deeper truth from emerging or they give out just enough information but not enough information where it still will completely distort the truth i think what you use the example what frank olson
0: that's right yeah yeah, so um, Frank Olson, uh, was. he worked for the CIA as a, a chemical researcher, and this is back in the 50s, and he found that stuff was going on um, to do, I don't think we're entirely sure what it was that so upset him, it was probably something to do either with the MKUltra program and experimenting on, med- on um, American citizens, or it could have been to do with uh, biological uh, warfare being deployed in the Korean War, but he became uh, a problem for the agency, and then he, um, he fell out of a hotel window. What was actually uh, the agency said was he either jumped or fell out of a hotel window. Um, and years later, they acknowledged, they said, okay, look, we, we haven't been entirely honest here. What really happened was he was a part of the mko program, and they were experimenting with LSD, and then he jumped out of the window on the LSD. So it sounds like the admission is being made and now we've got to the real truth. But that wasn't the real truth at all. He was like clonked over the head and thrown out of the window. And that was like uncovered by his um, his sons who spent basically their their lifetimes investigating this narrative and had the the body uh, exhumed and re-autopsied and um, uh, so really proven beyond doubt. So that, that's essentially how a, a limited hangout uh, works that it gives them the impression that, oh, now we fessed up when it 's out of a distraction,
2: yeah, I mean their techniques are so transparent, but we people still fall for them, like for example uh, what 's the one they do where they they make sure they don't release information till twenty years later. And they give out this vibe like, well, yeah, it was post-war. It was the Cold War. We don't do that anymore. And you know that they're just full of shit. I mean, Mm. I'm sure in 20 years we're going to find out that the CIA or some other covert agency was in the Ukraine or in Somalia or in Yemen, right? They'll say, oh, yeah, sorry, 20 years ago we were... Uh, social engineering, this wars, but uh, we won't do it again.
0: <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah, well, they have a historical connection to the Ukrainian far right going back to the Second World War. Mm-hmm. They used them as infiltrators behind the Iron Curtain. So that, I think, just hasn't ended, really. There's been a continuous relationship going back to the 1940s.
2: Yeah, they are slippery, these intelligence agencies. Um, and uh, how would you advise people to go into conspiracy theories for example my stance and i think we have a a lot of overlap richard but i always tell them you got to go with a sense of self-knowledge and uh, self-awareness and mystery and for example i use the illustration let's say you're attracted to some girl all of a sudden now there's obvious surface reasons right uh what you what your ego prefers or is looking for in a partner there is cultural reasons how you see a woman attractive or as a mate but there's probably a million underlying unconscious reasons why you're attracted to this woman and they can be with archetypal images uh, complexes trauma Obi's got yeah mommy issues because that's a powerful one freud and Jung are still right but if you go through the self-knowledge of why you're attracted to this woman, which is a sense that you're going to discover more about yourself and your place in the world. Then it makes the whole relationship or even the whole courting of this woman far richer. Uh, And I say, that's the same way with conspiracy theories go with it. It, This is a, there's a reason there's a siren call why you were attracted to nine 11 or the moon landing or whatever, find out why underneath and the journey will be
0: amazing. What do you think mm, of that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. A, a great way of looking at it. I, I think there can't, obviously there has be a, an unhealthy reason to be attracted to anyone or anything. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad to pursue, but it's, it's good to be aware of. So it doesn't turn toxic because the conspiracy theory can become a consuming thing for people and they can end up being somewhat cultish and um, So it is good to, to look at what might be going on there that drives you to see, particularly if you get stuck, I think, in seeing the world a particular way. Like if you can't see it any other way than the conspiracy theory you've embraced, then in some ways that's little better than being stuck in a conventional paradigm. Like it, if everything, like every little thing is now narrow conspiracy. And um, a lot of groups that get together to investigate, whether it's COVID or whatever, 9 eleven they break down because people get so attract- attached to their worldview that anyone who doesn't hold that must be working for the CIA right. and this yeah. argument arguments argument's infighting, so yeah, I definitely think um introspection um is very good, and then I think also like theory is fine, right, and in any subject like you're going to spend a certain amount of time talking about theory like if you're a physicist, you might theorize about string theory or something or. Um, but that's grounded in a solid knowledge of established facts in physics built up over the past 500 years. And the same way with um, conspiracy theory, I think it's, it's good to have a grounding in stuff that just isn't speculative at all. And that's as simple as reading a book by William Bloom or John Pilger or Stephen Kinzer or someone. They're like very good authors who give a grounded history of all the horrendous things that um, states and empires have, have done over the past century that kind of raise a foundation uh, for understanding events like 9-11 or the current COVID crisis
2: yeah and I think the other one I tell people is that look uh, this is more important the self-knowledge and what you're going to learn and how your uh hopefully your rational brain will improve and hopefully you'll do some good to the world you'll be altruistic but these conspiracies are not going to end if you think they are I mean People will still be talking about JFK. I mean, there was an article uh, the other day, people wondering what happened to Alexander the Great. This is what, uh, 25, 2,300 years? Mm. People are speculating was it Aristotle who killed him? Was it his generals who poisoned him? Was he really sick? Jack the Ripper, we're going to be talking about Jack the Ripper for hundreds of years or the fall of Constantinople. Um, so, yeah, these things are never going to end.
0: Yeah, and I think that for me, I'm still caught up in questions I started asking when I was 18, right? Like the shock of finding the world is not the way I've been told it is every day. I'm still so shocked by that, that I'm just fascinated. Well, well, what is it then? Well, what is it then? And I keep going just to satisfy that curiosity and yeah, to to come to an understanding. So I think that um, also, if you think there's going to be some revolutionary movement um, Spring up, like I think at a time where the the internet came about, and we suddenly had streaming video, there was perhaps you know a reason for the more naive amongst us, maybe like myself, to think, okay, a revolution really could happen here because information is just going to disseminate and disseminate and disseminate, and everyone's going to follow a similar path to to what I did. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier now. And then we're going to have some kind of revolution where we you know, kick down the doors and get the, the right. JFK files out of Langley at long last <laughs> and find out what happened, what the NSA really recorded on 9-11 and all the rest. And the last 10 years has been a discovery of no, like there's a there's a maximum peak to this wave. And then it only appeals to a certain number of us. And you can never really know who it is, because sometimes somebody who is just the most conventional of the conventional all their life will suddenly hop over and they're in your camp. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you can never know but it does seem to hit a kind of a maximum yeah
2: exactly i would certainly agree with that and what about the term conspirituality which i use how would you define that or how does it help us
0: well it came about from some academics uh, 12 years ago um i want to say charlotte ward and david boas who noticed this phenomenon of the co-arising of spirituality and conspiracy theory and it perfectly described Me, that's what happened for me. And I encountered it with people using it as a kind of positive term to describe a kind of dual awakening. So there's an inner awakening that myself is not who I take it to be. There is this deeper well of consciousness behind that uh, that has all sorts of metaphysical implications. And then there's a an external, more temporal awakening of the world is not how I find it to be. It's completely different and in some ways much darker. So like I suppose like Gnostic, a Gnostic form of spirituality is an awakening in two directions to the darkness and the light. And um, yet to me, uh, the, I was very interested in invite Vedanta and this sense of inner looking, just this inner ceaseless looking back into my own center and not being satisfied with um, spiritual platitudes or anything, but really wanting to know firsthand who I am at my very core. And then when I, turn that attention back around and look out into the world to me there's a, a real parallel there of that same deep looking kicks in and i want to know what's really going on how, how is this world we're living in really operating so yeah that, to me there are like a lot of parallels arising i think for different people who have a kind of different take on spirituality um, it arises differently so a lot of spiritual people really reject conspiracy and i think there's a sense of um, spiritual people can be sometimes perhaps naive Right. Like there's a, like you look how successful cults are in the spiritual arena and how many people get sucked into them. Um, so there is, there is a sense of like, if somebody's saying the right words, they must be a nice person because I wouldn't abuse and manipulate people for selfish gain. And therefore, the other people must be kind of similar to that. And I think that that the can also spirituality can give rise to a, a real rejection of. Um, the evil in the other, say, and a really, like, a a kind of naive acceptance of, like, both court leaders and the other type of court leaders called politicians.
2: Well said indeed. Yeah, I would agree. Certainly the Gnostics are considered uh, history's first conspiracy theorists. They were accused of being paranoid. Uh, Their ethos certainly fueled and informed Philip K. Dick and other writers, which we want to get into. Uh, But they, yeah, like you said, they believed in holding up the darkness, the horror of the world, and the light of the world at the same time—the mysterium tremendum, where you're just, you're not sort of editing out things about the world. You're just this is it. It's both uh, as horrible and beautiful at the same time. Same Mm -hmm. with human beings. So, uh, and I like Richard. You write, um, you talk about, and this is similar. You write, uh, as a suggestion, two possible paths that could emerge. The first, and overwhelmingly more popular, led us to dig our trenches deeper and lob bricks even harder at the other side, where we are today. The second, and often far more distasteful option, is to emerge from our trenches, let go of our egoic grip on our opinions, and open up to the mystery
0: yeah oh that's just in response to what i saw arise with uh, just it's a phenomenon i've always noticed going to spiritual groups that everyone talks about spirituality and meditation and their background in that on maybe the first evening of, of the weekend the friday evening and everyone gets on great and then i'm generalizing here right but then by sometime around saturday lunchtime political discussion arises and half the room is horrified that the other half believes 9-11 was an inside job or the other half can't believe they don't think 9-11 was an inside and there's this complete split emerges and i saw that like when COVID hit i think a lot of people in in spirituality on the non-conspiratorial spectrum said okay like enough is enough we have got to like put these people in their place because there's a real public health emergency now and these people are dangerous right. okay, they need to be told to cop on and drop all this conspiracy nonsense Anthony Fauci and the World Health Organization are obviously here doing their best for our good come on um so that that I I'd always thought there would be some kind of like coming together I think spirituality necessitates that right it, like if you're going to say you're into spirituality I think um that does necessitate, that claim necessitates an ability to maybe step out of your own position and see another person's point of view sometimes. And um, also a necessity to maybe look into truth and not be just in the way that the core thing of, um, of spirituality is not being absorbed into the reality of our own thoughts and recognizing there is a distinction between thoughts and us. Well, not being like the, the voice in our head isn't necessarily true. or well, the voice on the TV isn't necessarily true either. You know, even if it's got, a billion dollar industry behind it, <laughs> yes, indeed.
2: Yeah, good point. I mean, as an example, I remember when COVID hit, people were uh, there was a split, and people were like, Why are so many in the yoga, new age, hippie movement so into the cons- quote unquote conspiracy theory about COVID? and they're like their woo-woo doesn't work and they've been infiltrated by QAnon and they were kind of creating their own conspiracies. And I would simply say, no, what are you talking about? This is very consistent because if there was a group that was always for holistic medicine, that was always been against the pharmaceutical industry and Western medicine, it would be the yoga, the new age, the hippies, right? I mean, they're actually just following their nature, so that's what they were doing. If you want to convince them otherwise that you know this is the time to put it all down, then just you know have a discussion with them, don't demonize them as uh, they've been co opted and their spirituality has been wrong all along.
0: Yeah, I think so, and I think when people do that, it says more about them that they're trying to defend right. their egoic positions rather than actually do anything productive because you don't have to change your position or agree with someone else. But one thing we can all do today, that would make the world a better place, we can come to understand people we disagree with. And that's what I mean by uh, the subtitle of the book, "Contemplating Conspiracy, Excursions into Undiluted Madness. Undiluted Madness isn't a reference to conspiracy, neither is a reference to a conventional worldview. It's a reference to points of view that aren't our own. And they're undiluted madness because I'm looking in an opposite direction. I can't see what you see because you're facing towards me, looking out on a different landscape that's behind me. So I have to physically turn around and then the undiluted madness becomes, oh, oh! Well, now I see, now I see that point of view. And that's, it, we might not like it, it might be uncomfortable, but that's something we can all do that would be productive. And when, when people consistently aren't doing that, we're consistently just digging the trenches deeper, lobbing the bricks harder, I think it suggests that truth is not the aim of the game here. Reconciliation is not the aim of the game here.
2: No, no. And even another part of the argument is, of course, uh, when COVID hit, you might, individuals, let's say, and you see these spiritual teachers and yoga people and whatever, they might take a hard line on one side or the other, right? And they would see their their traffic numbers and subscribers and their money go up. So naturally, in a capitalistic society, they were going to lean in harder. So we have to look at that aspect too, that we live in a society where the cliques rule.
0: Yeah, and I certainly don't, because of where I'm stood, I'm, I'm tending to direct my criticisms more at the anti-conspiracy crowd, but I don't mean to um, right, give a, a clean bill of health to obviously there are people who are very cynically using COVID and spirituality combined to make money and to increase their audiences. Um, and in some ways, in an understandable way, that if you see the clicks go up on a certain type of video, um, you're going to do more of them. But in some ways, in, in a way, that's just very, very cynical too. So I'm not saying that, certainly not saying every... <laughs> criticism, a conventionally minded person, as they were to anyone during the Covid uh, era, has been completely wrong. Not at all.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Again, the, the idea is just, uh, as I tell people, be an anthropologist, a detective, and again, have that stoic idea, where try to get as much data and see the underlying reasons, the unconscious reasons why you are acting a certain way. Most of us are projecting all the time, whether we like it or not. It's just the way, again, being a human being is a messy thing. So, And we want to get into uh, our, and we say this with tongue in cheek, our Lord and Savior, Philip K. Dick. But first, uh, Vance, do you have any questions or insights into this?
3: Well, yeah, um, I don't think we've talked very much uh, except in the beginning about how um, really getting into a conspiracy diffuses people's frustrations, you know, it seems there's a satisfaction. It seems that if you're always looking into the mysteries and being open and so forth, then I kind of think of myself as that kind of person. It leaves you with cognitive uh, uh, fatigue, because you're always tracing back one thing or the other. Whereas if you say, hey, you know, I know that 7-Eleven was caused by blah, 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 blah. There's a certainty, you know, and there's a completion associated with certainty. So what do you think of that? And is there any way to overcome that?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've interviewed people on this very thing about the idea of certainty addiction. So I, I've tried to do it in ways, like I had a lady on the show a couple of years ago who, one, was a therapist who looked at things like certainty addiction, and two, was very, very concerned about global warming. Okay. Now I have concerns about global warming, but they're different kinds of concerns. They're concerns about what it's going to do to the sustainability of human life with regard to energy shutdowns and how nefarious actors can use that as an agenda to, to, to take control of energy and, and direct and steer human life. So we, we both have concerns. They're very different and kind of opposed concerns. And what we both wanted to do was have a dialogue to show how, how we could talk about that, right? Um, and overcome that that kind of certainty addiction that we're not threatening to each other. So um, another take on that is uh, like, there's a, a kind of spiritual take of the, we identify with our thoughts as um, like, and our positions as being ourselves and therefore our attack on them is, a, is an attack on the self. Um, right. The um, the therapist, Donald Winnicott, he was a kind of a childhood developmental therapist. He um, saw it in terms of like an attachment disorder where he said that um, when people, have an insecure relationship with their parents; they'll they'll cling to something else as a like as a as a parental replacement. And he thought that thought itself could play that role. Okay, so people could actually be playing out their childhood trauma through their addictions. To my position on this is correct, and yeah, the solution to that is to be therapeutic and spiritual. I would suggest.
3: Yeah, it fits their need for security. That's what it is, and uh, yeah, the problem is the secrecy is so rife now, in, in, or at least so obvious, and I think secrecy is the root of all these conspiracies. If we all knew things, you know, we could, um, we, we could resolve some of these things, but the very fact that the government has tremendous amounts of secrets, and we know that they do, that's what classified information is all about, um, that breeds conspiracies, don't you think?
0: Well, yeah, because you'll have to, to just speculate. I mean, yeah. there's still... Um, we're still waiting for the CIA's files on Lee Harvey Oswald, who <laughs> apparently is just a common criminal who who shot. There's no intelligence backing to him at all, so there's no reason why they shouldn't be out. But there they are, and I'm not even convinced there's anything like that will be massively exciting in them. I think maybe the CIA just holds them to stop them. Um, you know, to to give the impression, right? Or to to string this out. And then when when one finally revealed, oh, see, we're just being overly cautious, nothing there over long. I'm not saying that there might be stuff in about his trip to Mexico or something, or there might be some exciting stuff in it. But (laughs) um, yeah, it's just yeah it's great well
3: they said they said when it happened and i was around i, I remember playing in the backyard when uh, the news about kennedy came in 63 and they said oh it'll be 50 years before we unseal all the records well the the time i think came recently and they extended the the ban uh, yeah, on, on the sealed director. or the
2: redag parts of it
3: like, yeah uh... so so um you know they're they're keeping it going you know i don't know maybe they have a reason for doing that Uh, but who knows what it is Uh, the building seven thing by the way i don't know if you've ever heard this i think i've said this before in the show building seven had tons and tons of classified information and a lot of people don't realize this but um, when you have a ton of classified information and you lose control over the physical location um, uh, the directive is to destroy the information
4: right so that that's nobody
3: yeah so that nobody gets their hands on it so don't you think that they'd take a building full of which is designed to be full of classified information and have a button so that they could destroy it if they ever <laughs> lost uh, control and isn't that what happened
0: well that makes sense because honestly when people have asked me but well, but why would they blow up building 7 you know it, it's not even Feature. I mean, you can see the twin towers, right? That if you want a psychological effect on the yeah. American people, if those planes hit and the towers are still standing, it's a very different psychological message. We took a blow, but we're still standing than the towers collapsing. The building seven. Why? So, yeah, I think that that might be a plausible um, a theory. Yeah, that the, they, they can then destroy the documents because, yeah, it's a uh, challenging one to explain, it, unless you want to say it's like uh, the Solomon Brothers is like Solomon's temple collapsing and it's all going to collapse. <laughs> or you go down that road.
2: I love it. So as we get it to the end, Richard, tell us a little bit more about where they can find you, where they can get contemplating conspiracy and excursions into undiluted madness or more where they can find out more about all your stuff.
0: Well, it's all on my website, which is deepstateconsciousness.com. And there's, uh, the podcast is on there where I'm was currently doing the series on empire and some stuff on COVID. I do spirituality stuff. Um, I've also written a book on anarchism, literally for overthrowing the archons there, and uh, that writing mm-hmm. is on as um, as well as uh, a, a spiritual. Take. I've just published a, a, a kind of summary, uh, a shortened version of a, a study I did on um, spirituality for body image, so, and that that again has a, a kind of gnostic take to it, looking at people like Plotinus who were very uncomfortable and felt awkward in their bodies, didn't want to sculpt a made of them, right. Saying, Okay, are there any spiritual insights that could maybe help with that? So um, all that stuff, that's all on deepstateconsciousness.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, awesome. Well,
2: first of all, Vance, thanks for keeping us company on this long and very cool conspiracy.
3: Why did you say that? Do you have a secret motive for saying that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> My CIA handler told me to say it. Oh, okay. I have no choice. Long
3: as you admit it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it was a lot of fun, and uh, uh, you know, I'm a conspiratorial mind myself. So, Richard, I appreciate it, and uh, it's been fun uh, and informative uh, talking with you.
2: Yes, very much, Richard. Really appreciate your work uh appreciate your company it was a great interview and we uh, look forward to talking to you in the near future unless we end up in some sort of uh i don't know walmart camp or something by fema if not we can still do the
0: podcast from there yeah that's, that's let's hope so yeah okay it's been an absolute pleasure gentlemen thank you very much thank you and
2: there you have it you shining crazy diamond. Richard, full of gnosis and technosis. In our second part, we'll truly and fully get into Philip K. Dick. Richard will also share insights on Joseph Campbell and other Jungians. Then he'll pivot, or more like take a deep dive, into the psychology and spirituality of conspiracy theory. We will all share our favorite conspiracy theories and what they mean for the world and much more. So please become a member for the full conspiracy. It's only 6.99 a month at AB Prime or 4.99 at Red Circle or whatever you want to pledge at Patreon. For AB Prime members and higher level patrons, you'll get access to my private Facebook group and Discord. If you find value in any of this content, Please support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Your help can be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the US Mail. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe now. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list, And I am also on Rockfin or Odyssey if crypto is your bag. If you need help with any of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.